What is up, guys? Welcome back. Episode number 17. BJJ Cyprus podcast series along with my co-host, Alexi. Our guest for today, Vanessa Griffin of Crazy 88 and Tim Lloyd Irvin, world pans and Euros champion at all the curl belts, coming up with Black Belts too. It's a pleasure having you, Vanessa. Do you want to tell us a bit about your story, how you started training? Oh, sure. So, yeah, I started when I was 13. Um, I was actually lucky enough. I lived about a mile from Crazy 88 um, at the time. And so I was able to just walk there. And so I really just needed something to do. I wasn't super picky. I was very athletic. I liked playing sports and I liked being a part of them, but I could I could never play them. Uh, my parents' work schedule was pretty crazy. So um, just traditional sports with like varying schedules and stuff like that didn't work out. So I went to 88, um, started it. I think I really, I signed up after my first day, really liked it, came back the second day and then was pretty much cemented in it. Like I really liked jujitsu. Um, so I trained for a while um, I would say like being a kid in training was pretty fun. It wasn't a whole lot of, you know, pressure. It was just kind of like, you're a kid, just get better. And I had a lot of people there that were helping me out. Um, went to yellow belt in maybe like a year and a half, went to orange belt, like a couple weeks later. Um, and then got my green belt a couple months after that. And then by that point I was able to, um, I was kind of at that point better than a lot of the kids. I mean, I was 15 and I was a green belt. So like a lot of the kids and teens that were my age, I was able to beat. So um, I had been training in the adult classes since a little bit before I got my yellow belt. Um, then eventually after when I was 16, I got my blue belt, uh, trained for a little bit. Um, I couldn't compete at juvenile, kind of the same situation. We just didn't have a lot of time um, and resources to get me to compete there. So I waited until I was an adult, competed as an adult in Abidjan Jeff started winning. And then up to that point, it was just kind of like, everyone knows my career from that point. I won a lot at blue, um, did okay at purple my first year, then won pans and worlds my second year, went to brown belt. Um, and from brown belt, I have a silver medal at the pan, third place at the world's um, first in Europe, and then a Nogi world title. So, and then at black belt, I've just been kind of competing in whatever we can get to since, you know, there's not a lot of tournaments going on. Yeah, it's quite unlucky. Um, when you first went to Crazy 88, it was Kai Ryan and Tim Spriggs there? Was they yeah, they were both the there. Yeah, I worked with um, me and Timmy taught the kids classes together for a little while. And Ty was just kind of always around. Ty took over my strength and conditioning when I was 17. So he did that for me for the first year. So he was my strength and conditioning coach and obviously like wrestling and technique and stuff. Um, and me and Timmy, I didn't really train under Timmy. Um, me and him just kind of taught the kids classes together um, and we became friends and we're still friends, of course. You mentioned your strength and conditioning there. How much of a part do you believe it plays in keeping you healthy and strong against your competition? For me, it, it, it's a, it takes a huge role. So we do it three days a week. For right now, I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday at like 9.30. Um, and for me, I've noticed that since I've been on a consistent regimen, I haven't been hurt as often. I used to get hurt a lot, especially since I've been in for so long. I realize that I haven't really been hurt too much lately. Um, I definitely feel stronger because right now all of my training partners are men. So it makes a huge difference for me to be able to lift weights and be strong so that I can still get better while training. Um with men who are varying belt levels, but normally around my size. So for me, it makes a huge difference. And I've definitely made a lot of technical gains. 
Um, and being at middleweight, you do have to be pretty strong. So it's helped me compete. Um, it's helped me be able to improve in training. Cause like I said, I can compete and fight with all the guys that I train with. Um, and then I've been pretty injury free for the last couple months, actually. I think the last time I really hurt my, I like sprained the ligament in my knee. That was probably about six months ago, but since then I've been, I've been pretty, I've been fine. Sounds good. You're balancing that with your stretching, getting strong, and then playing it around your game. And you mentioned the middleweight division, and you're right. You got to be strong. You got to be fast because you're not the biggest and you're not the smallest at the same yeah. time. Like you know, you see the guys in the men's and the women's divisions. They're usually the most technical fighters as well in that division. How do you plan your game, knowing that you've got to face some people who are really flexible, some people who are fast, some people who are strong? Do you just play your game and then just go on with it from there or do you watch them and see what they're going to do as well? Yeah, we've we've tested out a lot of different game plans um, to the point where it's helped me be super well-rounded. So generally, I'm pretty comfortable wherever the fight is. Um, I would obviously say definitely my weakness is my takedowns, but I still have good takedowns and I have um, a good takedown system, right? Like if we go into the training room, I'm probably taking down a, like a good, a good percent of my training partners and I'm not getting taken down. Um, when it goes to competition, I have like a hard time putting them together. So recently I started working on guard. Um, so I pull guard and I play a lot of guard and I have really good passing. So for me, I'm very well-rounded um, and I do test out different things. You know, we, for me, for me coming up, I didn't have a super complex game probably until I got my black belt. And I, that was the point where I was like, okay, you can't just do the same three techniques over and over again. Um, so now I've, you know, I've expanded to a lot of my teammates know, like I'm into the Baron Bolo working on single leg X adding, I just started adding in like leg locks, like real leg locks within the last couple of weeks. So for me, it's just adding as much as I can add and handling it. Cause as a black belt, it's pretty easy to learn jujitsu and be able to put it together. So now is a time where I think I'm experiencing the most growth where I'm just adding in, whatever I can get. So I have like flexi guards, I have barambolos, I can go under with the single leg X. I can stay distance with like a far side collar and sleeve. I can do whatever requires, um, whatever my opponent is going to require me to do. Like if they're stiff, I have lassos and I have single leg X. If they're like loose or whatever, I can play my barambolos and stuff like that. So um, I have a wide range of stuff that I'm comfortable with. So as soon as I feel my opponent and see what they're giving, I can perform a different game plan for different people. That's sick, yeah. Um, I remembered when Flo came over to Lloyd Evans and they they did a blog with your training. I remember um, Lloyd put the guard pullers and the guys who would take downs in one side. And what really stood into my mind, and not only from that training session, from watching your teammates compete in general, the team Lloyd Irvin guys have a very specific judo approach to the takedowns. I'd say like guys like Mohammed, guys like Tim Spriggs, they do a lot of sacrifice throws, here and Um On the other hand, you've got like guys like Jamil or The Flash, who just pull guard and they'll take your back within blink. It's nice that you've got such a wide variety of people to gain from, whether it is takedown artists, whether it is guard players. Who would you say influenced you the most out of your team? Ooh, that's a good one. I would say um, 
I don't know. I think I think I've taken a lot of different things from different people. So I can't even list like the last couple of months I've been working with Jamil, um, specifically on Lasso. So I'm picking up the Lasso pretty slow, actually, but I'm getting some things that I need. Um, I would say training with Rico. I haven't trained with Rico in a while, but when I was, um, it was a lot of like, it was a lot of technical pushing the pace. So I had to learn how to be really technical, really fast, because if not, I was, he was on my back and choking me out. Right. Um, so in order to even just hold Rico off, I had to be really fast in my guard. I had to be able to, I had to learn how to tie him up. Um, so I trained with those two. I train. I used to train with Rico a lot. And then I've been working with Jamil. Um, within crazy 88, a lot of the black belts have been kind of sporadic, but I would say with Ty, Ty has helped with my wrestling a lot. We used to have a specific wrestling class. We didn't with Ty, like I would go to Ty, um, and we have a professional UFC fighter and a, like a D one wrestler, Matt Hicks. He, they both have helped with my wrestling a lot. So I personally like wrestling when it comes to takedowns more, I would say crazy Eight probably leans towards wrestling a little more and camp spring specifically leans towards judo. Um, I think there's a combination of both, but I, if I had to guess like which gym did, which style said crazy, it is definitely more comfortable wrestling camp springs with judo. So Ty and Matt Hicks have helped with my wrestling a lot. Um, and then I have a teammate Byung who has the most complex wild guard ever. Um, he's not super offensive with it, but he's very good at learning how to, he's very good at tying up in different transitions. So he's helped with my complexities and my grips a lot. Um, trying to think of who else. My passing was kind of, an influence from a lot of different people, but I feel like I've developed a pretty decent passing game just from working with my coach, head head coach Julius Park. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of bits and pieces that I've got from everybody else, but I would say those are the main ones, like Ty, Jamil, Rico, um, Byung, one of the brown belts on the team, and then our, like, no, you guys and our wrestling coaches, Matt Hicks. So there's definitely been a lot of influence as influences at the gym and things that I can take from different people. And then of course, Julius has been helping with my leg locks a lot. And then I train with uh, the MMA guys in the morning um, to really get those to be good. So you mentioned locks a few times and um, <clears throat> that's more of the Nogi game, isn't it? Cause I mean, you've got your esteem locks, you've got your foot locks in gi anyway. Mm -hmm. You play like you, you had, you had fights this weekend, didn't you? And I saw you doing some Nogi highlight reels. And then you've got all these people who just turned planet. They've been in leg locks forever. Like since they first started, how are you adapting to that? I mean, obviously you've seen what heel hook is, outside heel hook, saddle guard, you know, the honey hole. You know these guards, but has it been a big change for you since they've all just come in now to IBJF? Not really. Not so far. I would say the heel hooks, the heel hook rule hasn't made a huge difference so far. I think because my other, the other black belt, the gym, Keith Sabula, we went to, he took me to Orlando with one of my blue belt teammates. So we were all there. And we noticed he, we were sitting there. I finished my Nogi fight and we were about to leave to go to the airport. And we were sitting there. Um, I was about to go change. And he said, you know, I didn't even notice a whole lot of heel hooks at the tournament. Um, and I was like, yeah, I didn't notice it either. And I had in my game, I was thinking like I wanted to go for a leg lock, but I was fighting up a weight. So that was rough in itself. <laughs> and um, I think it's not going to make a huge difference yet. I think it's appealing to the 10th planet guys and some of the people that prefer Nogi, but I don't think it's, it's going to, I think it's going to take a while before it makes a difference. We could see some at the Nogi pan, um, some more leg lock type game, but I don't see it too much. And then especially with women specifically, um, I think the leg locks are 
less apparent and less evolved in the women's game. Um, so it just, if for me, it's at least just about being aware of it. So as long as it's, if it's not even my primary game, when I go to Nogi Pans, I'm at least aware of it. And I know, I know how to get a leg lock and I know how to stop someone from getting out. So then I know how to get out, you know? And so it's helping build awareness. Sorry, my room is getting really bright. (laughs) Um, it's just building awareness so that I'm, you know, if like you teach someone something, it might not be so they can do it, but it could be just so they are aware of how to defend it. So that's kind of where the leg locks are. Um, I'm not confident enough in them yet to do them in competition, but I have six weeks until pan. So you never know how it can change. Um, but I just like being aware of it and having it as a tool. It's hard to compete as a black belt and not have one giant aspect of the game, especially now that they're all legal. Yeah. One thing you said there quickly, um, you mentioned it wasn't as evolved in the women's game. Do you reckon you can pinpoint a reason why that is? I, I'm i not sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are missing in the women's game that are in the men's. You know, like I don't think as many women are doing any type of lapel guard. Um, I don't see a whole lot of 50-50. Um, I just think that it's not quite needed yet. Like I think that women's I think that there's a technical gap between the women's and the men's just because the women's have not been in jujitsu as serious and as long as the men and there's not as many right eventually i think that the i i think the gap is reachable but i think right now it's like girls can just pass and sweep and do whatever without a whole lot of complicated things um and i do think too that upper body makes a huge difference in what girls need to sweep and what they don't need um so I think just like the build of the women's body and the amount of women that have been in the sport for as long and have been established is just not quite there yet. So there's different things that we need. Like I don't really play 50-50 at all. I don't see a whole lot of women play 50-50. I don't see a whole lot of lapel guard. Um, you see leg locks, but I just don't think as much. Um, and there's a lot of different things that are there that I know that women know how to do, but we just might not need it. You know, like I didn't need 50-50 to sweep my opponent. I didn't need to tie her up in the lapel. I was about to, but I didn't need to at that point, you know? So um, I think there's a lot of factors that play into role. Like I said, I think upper body makes a huge difference too. Um, we have a sweep that we call the girl sweep specifically because it's it can, it can work to get girls down. It's like you feed the sleeve, you swing around and you kick the girl down by the armpit. And with the upper body strength, like women are just going down. I go down every single time or I have to like go down, pop up and recover. So um, I think that makes a difference. And like I said, we just haven't been as established in the sport um, as long. So you might see some of that stuff pop up in the women's divisions. We might not. I guess we have to kind of see. That's right enough. About what you said before about some aspects of the game not being as evolved. On top of my head, let's say, the only girl I can think of that is really good at leg locks is Liz Clay and maybe Luisa Montero with the gi. Yeah, so I get what you're saying. And well, the other person who's on top of my head is Fionn. Mm-hmm. Fionn pretty much just passes people's guards and she submits, she submits her. Them. So, yeah, would you believe that in the future, we're going to see a more complex women's game like we see with men today. You know, 50-50, more lapel guard, more stalling. Absolutely. I think that the women's sport, I think that the competition right now is getting to a point where, um, I mean, it's getting real. Like, even the rooster weight division, like we saw Jessa and Misa, like, that, was, that must have been probably one, I, I wouldn't say one of the first, like, 
big rooster ray fights, but it had to have been like the um you know, just one of the most like impactful rooster weight women's sports where now it's like, okay, now there's those two. Um, you have Rikako, you have some of the other women that are in it that are there. So now even just the rooster weight division is starting to fill up, you know, and then you have the bigger divisions that are filling up. Um, and I feel like almost every year flow will name the most dangerous women's division. I feel like every year it changes, you know, like I feel like it was lightweight for a while. Maybe now it's middleweight, you know, eventually maybe it'll be medium heavy. So um, I definitely think that we're going to see a lot of complexities and a lot of different changes. Like even with women, there's not a whole lot of Baron Bolo, probably not named that many. So um, that's something that I'm actively trying to work on and get better at just because I like it and because um, it's something that's different. So I think as like women that think like me that are like, oh, let's add some new cool things. As that starts to happen, there will be more like I like lapel guard. I don't mind 50-50. Um, I like the Baron Bowls. I like all that stuff. Um, it just comes to like when it's like I said, when I'm in a tournament, like when I'm actively in a match, it's like how much of that do I really need to use? Whereas like sometimes I can just get like a deli heave tilt sweep where I can start inverting underneath or I can just go single leg X. Um, I think single leg X is another thing that um, isn't as well developed, but it'll get there for sure. I think I think I think that it's the women's divisions every year just get tougher and tougher and they evolve to be better. And the technique is starting to get um, crazy. Like even in the first couple minutes of the Jess and Mysa match, I thought that the transitions were very, very technical and very impressive in my head. Cause I was sitting there. I was like, man, that was good. That was, I was like sitting there commentating in my head. I was like, man, that was technical. That was good. And I was glued to the screen um, until Mysa got up at all those points. I was, I was glued to it. I thought it was a really good match. And I usually hate watching jujitsu, to be honest. It bores me. I can't watch it unless, like, it's something that is actually drawing my attention. That's um, you mentioned um, changing the game up slightly. Um, so let's put it this way. So you, you've tried other games that you may not implement in the competition as such. Do you think it's important for, like, jujitsu like, grapplers in general to play other games, just to enjoy the sport, try things anyway? even if it's not just for your game? Yeah, I think so. I think for me, I've always been comfortable changing things up. Um, my game plan for Orlando didn't work out, but even though it didn't work out, I still had other things that I'd never done before. Like I got a lasso sweep. Um, I played a different version of my clothes guard than I've played before. Um, in Nogi, I was a lot looser than I was, and I had a lot of fun in Orlando. Orlando is probably one of the most fun tournaments that I've had in a while just because I opened up I had different things in mind different things that I hit there's a lot of things that I hit for the first time um but it also just depends on your personality like some people just want to do the same thing over and over again which is fine if it works for them that's all for them you know um for me I did the same thing from blue to brown and then I think for me I hit a wall where I was like okay now I need to open up be more complex do things different and I'm having a lot of fun with it I just think it depends on your personality and what your personal preferences but for me I've completely changed not completely changed my game but my guard is completely different than it was um, my passing is a little bit different I haven't so much worked on my takedowns but I'm assuming when I go back to them I'm going to change them and make them different just because for me it was like after a couple of tournaments or something that stops working or it's not working for me I'm going to change it up and try to make it better to be something that I'm more confident in when I go into the actual tournament Um, something else I'd like to ask you. Um, coming up in the ranks, 
you've probably fought you've probably fought um, the same girls over and over. You know, bringing your weight division and stuff. Who would you say was a girl that really pushed you to improve? Or maybe you had a rivalry like just now has Maisa. Did you had um, something equivalent? A girl that maybe pushed you to become better, have a healthy rivalry? Yeah, I would say there's a couple. So for me, um, I did an interview last week and I mentioned that for me, if I lose to somebody, um, one of the goals on my plate becomes go to their division and beat them. And I'll go and if even if I lose like a hundred times, at some point I'm gonna get the win back. You know, like I still have names on that list that I'm not actively chasing them, but if I am signed up for a tournament and they're there, I'm either going to sign up for that weight class or make sure I fight them in the open. So for me, um in the early belts, um it was Jesse Swanson. So she was she was the first person to submit me in an IBJJF match. And so that was for me a turning point. Um and I think she finished me like three times after that. And the two other times were like, she beat me on points. And so it was like five or six times that she had beat me at purple belt. And then it was my first year of purple. So she beat me four or five times. And that she went up to Brown. So then I was like, oh my God, I have to wait a whole nother year before I can even be eligible to fight her again. And so I did my second year of purple, did pretty well, got one pans, one worlds. And then we go to Brown belt and I hadn't seen her until... I want to say May. And then finally, that was when I got the match back. I think it was like six to four or like six to two. I don't remember what it was. It was very close, though. It was a very intense match. Um, And then I got it back. And then she ended up actually training with us for, I want to say, like the summer, maybe like six months. She she came and trained at Crazy Day for a little while, Um, competed with us, trained with us. So that was a good that was a that was a fun rivalry and an interesting time because we i never disliked her we were always super cool and then she came and trained with us and we became good friends and we're still friends um but now she's in i think illinois or something um and then the second one was probably fion so at my first year at brown belt or my first year at purple belt she had beaten me at worlds like eight to zero or something like that. It was crazy. Like you mentioned, she passes guard. She passed me twice. I had never been passed like that before. Um, so she passed me twice, probably got neon belly. It was probably like eight to zero, I want to say. Um, and so it wasn't, I don't remember if it was really on my radar or if it was, if, or if it just in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh, I lost to her. Now I have to beat her. Um, but I do remember improving a lot that year and winning a lot. And I think, that was probably the first time that I had not really scouted, but remembered how she had lost that same year. So I think she beat me and then lost in the finals um, by like close guard armbar. And me being like a 19 year old dummy, I told my coach in the finals of the worlds that year, I was like, I'm just gonna close guard armbar her. Not thinking that she would have maybe fixed it over a year, you know, but my coach looked at me crazy and was like, all right. So I went out there, I pulled guard, um, avoided the guard pass, got her into the closed guard. And then we were in the closed guard for a while. I remember like off balancing, um, going for cross chokes. None of them were really, nothing was really catching. I think I went for an arm bar, kind of got the arm straight, but she got out. So then, um, then I have the video clip on my Instagram where I unbalanced, got the arm bar, went belly down, um, and finished it. So I would say those two were really big turning points where I got the match from Fionn back. And then finally, two years later, I got the match from Swanson back. And then neither one of us have 
fought again since then. Fiona, I think, is like featherweight now. So she went down, I went up. Um, and then I just haven't seen Jesse at any tournaments, but we trained together for a while, so it was good. So I'll say those are the two that I've had a couple other matches that I got back um, from other people. Um, but those are the two that were the most pivotal because the one got me the world title and then the other one um, had been like a two-year stretch that I had to just wait and get back. That's a, that's a great mindset to have. Like you just reminded me of um, like when I first started jiu-jitsu and I remember watching a documentary with um, the Miao brothers and one of them had been beaten by Keenan Cornelius like a lot. Yeah. And it was just literally, I think it was like the 10th time lucky or something like that. And it was like, I think by advantage or two points, you won. So I think it's a very good mindset you've got there. You're just searching out those people to get it back. I like that. That's good. I think a lot of our guys could, when girls could learn from that, really just to keep going. It doesn't matter what the result is because the end goal is never now. It's always to keep moving and be better anyway. So yeah. it's a great way to think. Yeah. So coming up, now you're a black belt. What would you say is the major target for your career? Definitely multiple time black belt world champion. I've had that goal for a while as far as competitive. Um, I would like to do ADCC, but I think I need, I would need the weight classes to be fixed for that to be optimal. I'm sure at some point I'm just going to go try to do it. Um, I don't think I can make 132, especially not three days in a row. So I would just do the big girl division and see what happens, you know? Um, but that would definitely be a goal if the weight classes were a little bit different or if there was a, there was one added, um, that would be nice to win that at least once or a couple of times, you know, um, get as many other grand slams as I can. I'd like to win pans, Europe, Brazil, um, all of that hall of fame would be nice. And then as far as like a coach, um, I run a kid's program, so I would like to see them compete at a high level too. Like if I can get a couple of those kids, eventually I'm going to pass them off to Julius, who's the head coach, but I want to see them get to black belt. And then one of my, coaching goals is to be able to just sit in that coaching chair for a black belt world final like that years and years and years in the future um would be great because i know there's not a whole lot of also female coaches and like high level female coaches so um for me that's another goal just so that i think that's another layer of aspect for people like taking women's sports seriously is if you can have women actually sit in those chairs as well and coach and be successful um so for me hall of fame ADCC titles as much as I can accumulate before I decide that I'm done. Um, and then once I am done, really committing to the coaching for kids and adults and one day sit in that chair for a black belt world title, that would be, that would probably be, that would definitely be one of the, a big moment for me and whoever I end up sitting there for, whether That's it be great. a male or a female. That's great, actually. And I think the only uh, female coach that had the honor to do that is. Leti Hibero, I think. Yeah. Right? With Bia. And I think Leti sets a great example for all women in Jiu-Jitsu. She has... Yeah, she's own... great. I've seen her. She goes to Pancakes with her kids. Um, I think the only time we've coached against, of course, I lost. <laughs> that was one of my kids lost, but she was great. We shook hands. She probably doesn't remember who I am, but I, I see her there all the time and she's always there coaching. And so I always see that and I'm always like, man, that's... That is, that is great. And I would love to, you know, be a female coach that people recognize like Andre Gaval and um, the other Donaher and all the other coaches that people know as just coaches. I would like to be a good competitor and then be a coach that people recognize and can see sitting in those chairs and always running around at the world coaching, you know, high level 
high level people. That's really nice. And sorry, Alexi, you can go. Let's go. And the places where you train, you have people who have actually been there. So you're not too far. I mean, probably when you're fighting worlds, you're having people like Lloyd Irving, Julius Park, Ronald Dachnik cornering you, which that's pretty much what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, cornering Mohammed, Jamil winning words. So yeah, um, Alexi, do you want to go? Yeah, so sure, sure. Something. Yeah, of course. So just bringing it back a bit, Vanessa, you mentioned the ADCC, big girls weight. You know that means you're going to probably have to fight Gabby Garcia. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I that would definitely be like a discussion with my coach because I mean in Nogi definitely the weight the weight difference makes a big difference for Nogi for Gi obviously it makes a difference but you know you have grips and you have ways to slow it down with Nogi I mean even with Gi I fought medium heavy all the time in Nogi I don't think in Nogi fighting medium heavy is such a big difference I was in pain afterwards like it's um I remember texting Ty. And because uh, there was there was the open for the I wouldn't have time to do it, but the, we were talking about if I was going to do the open for the Nogi. It was like two heavyweight girls and a medium heavy. And I just looked at my coach and I said, no, we got to go. It's time to go. You know, like um, normally I'm not super afraid of fights, but there's also just aspect of, aspect of Nogi is so high paced and so wild and unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And it can be sometimes it can, can be controlled. But uh, me just as being a middleweight, I was still pretty little. I thought I didn't even reach 150. I didn't even get back up to 150 pounds at that point. And I think heavyweight was like 170 and medium heavy was like 160, whatever. And so I was like, I don't even want to do it. Um, so with ADCC, like it's definitely, I don't know, it's definitely up in the air just because, like I said, if they had another weight class, you could definitely fill it. I think their concern is that you can't fill a weight class, but I was like, I promise you, you can fill three weight classes with eight girls if that's the thing. You know, I like, I promise you can do it. There's a bunch of, um, even if it was at one, like you kept the 132, put it at 160, and then the rest was 160 and up, I would do 160 with no problem. I wouldn't even have to cut weight um, or even like a 155 or something like that. But you could definitely fill if it's going to stay at eight girls at each. I, I promise you they could fill it. I mean, I would be in. And I know all a lot of the other middleweights and medium heavy girls would be in it. So um, as it stands right now, I don't know. It's up in the air. If it, I would probably maybe just do like a trial just to have fun with it. But as far as the weight classes are right now and how it stands, I would like to do it, but I'm not super, we're not really training for it. We're not planning for it right now, you know? That's fair enough. So you're talking about training, um, whether it be ADCC or Worlds, how do you approach that? Do you set yourself a schedule and say, right, this is when my strength conditioning is. This is when I do my drills. This is when I do my sparring. Or are these are the specific spars I need to have because of the people in my division. How, how do you go about your usual week? Like say you're preparing two, three weeks advanced before the competition. Uh, it depends. So right now, like I'm still in school. Um, this is my last wild semester. Next semester is my actual last semester, but I only have two classes. So as of right now, I'm like in, I have an internship. I have three other classes um that are full-time I have I run the kids program so I'm teaching at least for two hours a night plus like probably five to six hours of private lessons um and then I'm also trying to train so 
depending on what's coming up, like before I usually try to train year round. So I usually try to get in, um, eight to 12 hours of training, which includes strength and conditioning. So that's always in the morning. I can always do that. No problem. It's a nine 30. I can always wake up for that. Um, right after on most days I go and I do my internship there. Um, and then our practices are at night. So I do the strength conditioning in the morning. Right now I'm planning, since I'm going to Nogi Pans, I'm planning to do Tuesday, Thursday morning, which is like MMA Nogi, but it works for me because the training partners are great and we're working on a lot of leg locks. Um, so it just depends on like what's going on with my schedule and what the tournament is. So it always changes. Like if I'm going to a Gi tournament, I try to get in as many Gi sessions as possible. If I'm doing Nogi, I switch my day like, no geese usually falls like more in the morning. So I'll usually get all my stuff done earlier in the day. And then at night I can relax. If it's a gi tournament, we do train at eight o'clock at night. So it's like eight to nine 30. So I usually try to make sure that I have my coffee. <laughs> I take a nap if I need to. And I kind of um, pace myself throughout the day. So I don't burn myself out, which I also have to balance with still being in school and doing homework. Um, and then making sure that the kids program is still operating well. Um, I try to train year round. Sometimes like if I'm feeling not feeling it, I'll relax for a week. So like I'll only do a couple training sessions. Um, I try on, I usually try not to skip strength and conditioning if at all possible, because I like to keep that consistent. Um, but right now, since we have Nogi Pants coming up in six weeks, I set myself a six week training plan for what I'm going to do. And I'm going to try to hit at least 95% of that. Um, and then two weeks after that, we have Detroit. So then it'll be like, I'll take a day off and then I'll go right into training gi, my gi schedule for like a week and a half to two weeks until we leave for that. Um, like I said, I try to train year round. I usually don't do a whole lot of modifications to it unless it is something like we have no gi pants coming up. So now I have to train no gi. Um, but the schedule usually kind of stays the same throughout the year. The only thing that's unstable is my school schedule because we never know what classes I'm going to take or how much I have to take. Um, but like I said, after next semester, I'm graduating, so that won't be a problem, which is nice. I'll have way less on my plate so I can commit way more to the actual jujitsu. One question, and I remember, so where I am in England, I've never heard of like different types of semester. What's a wild semester? A semester, so uh, we have them um, for... Uh, they last for about three months. And so for me, I would say for me, I try to take only three to four classes a semester. This semester I committed to four classes, which is one, one of them is an internship. So it's wild because I have eight hours a week. I have to commit to an internship plus like three other classes, which I think they do about, I think it's like three credit hour. It's three hours of classes per class. So that's nine hours of classes, eight hours of an internship just for three months so I'm almost I'm halfway through it so it's not a huge deal but it's definitely um it went from the end of January and it's going into the middle of May and then my last semester will be it starts in like the last week of August and it'll go to the middle of December and then after that I'll be graduated and done with it so 2022 I won't be in school anymore which will be nice fair enough yeah, that does sound quite hectic if you're thinking yeah. 17 hours a week and then you've got kids, then you've got your own training. No wonder you need your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Vanessa, I'm just checking your division for Nogi Pants. I'd say it's quite stacked. And I think the event itself was sold out. I mean, it was reached full capacity in four or five days. So, I saw in your division Jesse Swanson. She's there, Jessica. 
um, Raquel Canudo, and I thought you had, I think you have you had this re- really tight fight pants. You end mm-hmm. up winning. Yeah. Yep. And the other name, Rafael Aguedes. Just pretty much on a streak lately. So I tell you, the division is pretty stacked. Out of these three girls I mentioned, is there a girl you're looking more forward to fight against? I would say um, definitely Rafaela because she beat me at Pans by like 11 to 0 in the Gi. And then uh, she choked me at Nogi Pans. So that for me, that's a huge benchmark where one, can I close the gap? Two, can I close the gap and win in the next match? Right. So for me, I'm never scared of anybody. I don't really care about height. She's very good, of course. But for me, it's like, I, it doesn't ever, it doesn't ever bother me in my head. I'm just like, okay, this is another match that we're training for that we're trying to win um, with Canudo. Definitely. Cause she's a Nogi world champion um, at middle. And so that's definitely another match that I like to see. Cause I would say like the first the first the at pans um I was pretty solid but I feel like now my jiu-jitsu is significantly better and uh definitely more well put together than it was last year so I did pans in October and nogi pans and Atlanta in December and I just feel like for me it's more for like when I look back. So like right now I feel like my jiu-jitsu is in a pretty good place. Obviously it's going to get better and it's going to be better. Um, But looking back three months ago, I was like, man, my jiu-jitsu was not as put together as it is right now. Um, And now that I've had, you know, the six matches, six to eight matches at black belt. Now I kind of know where I need to be. Um, And I have all like a lot of my training partners are back from COVID and they're in the room pretty consistently. So now I have a good room. I have a good, um, I have a good like awareness of where I want to be and where I want to go with my jujitsu. Um, so a lot of those matches are like with Canudo, the match was zero, zero. And I only won by like an advantage because I attacked a cross choke at the very end. Um, and so now it's just more to see like, okay, now I need, I can open up with my attacks more. I'm more comfortable with that. So now I want to see how they work on her. Um, and with Rafaela, it's just like, for me, now I have a different game plan that again is more well put together. So, um, I'm very excited for that division because now it's going to be like, okay, how much well, how much, how well put together is my game actually? Like what is, I can go there and test myself against them. Hopefully I get to fight as many, like as many of them as possible. I would like to fight. I would like to have the toughest matches and be able to advance through the bracket with the toughest ones, just because I want to test my jujitsu and see where it is. And, you know, again, how well put together it is compared to three months ago. I mean, You'll probably have to fight three fights. Probably yeah. the top top seed would be Rafaela. And you're probably on the other side of the bracket. You should be number three or number two. So I'd estimate maybe... probably three or four in that division. I, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm behind all three of them because I feel like that would make sense. I, I, I'm going to estimate that I'm going to be fourth at that point. It should be Rafaela and Canudo because Canudo is a world, a Nogi world champion. So I would say it's probably Canudo, then Rafaela. I don't actually, it probably, it's probably a toss up between me and Jesse, but I'm assuming one of us will be three or four. Okay. So you're probably having a less known opponent in the first match, and your second match is going to be a barn burner. That's for sure. 
Yep. I'm ready for it. And I have six weeks to prepare. So now, um, I mean, that, that right there is a nice stretch for me. I think like six to eight weeks is always optimum. I think training, you know, if I know that there's a tournament three months ahead is for me, it's like, that's kind of like, I get, for me, I get lazy and disciplined, especially because I have so much on my plate. It's like, you know, I'll definitely get lazy. But now that I know that I have six weeks, like I told all of my coaches and even my teammates, I was like, I'm training for this six weeks. Like this is completely committed to Nogi Pans. And then I'll probably still do like a couple of geese sessions. That way I can still be prepared for Detroit in the next couple of weeks after Nogi Pans when that comes. So, um, but I'm excited for this one. This for me is a pretty big deal. Something that I can finally use to test myself because Orlando was cool, but I didn't get, I only got to fight two different people. Um, and one of the people I had already fought and beaten before. So it was, it was nice to go out there and win it. But for me, it wasn't a real test, you know? Yeah. Is there any other girl that's in the divisions you'd like to see in the absolute? Some names on top of my head are Gabby McComb, Natalie Hibero, um, Maggie Guindari. I would say the, yeah, those definitely because two of the, Gabby and Maggie have both beaten me. Um, and I haven't gotten the matches back from that. And I would say another match, um, is Veda. We're cool. Like we're friends too, but I know that she's beaten me. I don't even know how many times, four, three. So that's a match too. We fought in Gi and Nogi. She's beaten me in both. Um, Jesse actually has beaten me in both too. I think she beat me like eight times. I don't even know. She beat me. She beat me a lot of times. And then Gabby, we've only fought twice in the Gi. The first time it was a close match. The second time she annihilated me. So that was a tragedy. Um, so that's definitely a match I'd like to have back. And then I know Natalie Hibero is just very good. So yeah, definitely in the absolute, any matches that I can get that are tests are what I want. You know, I, I feel like people always go there with the seating wanting like matches with cans and I just, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. It's just like, I, I will outwardly be like, Oh, I'm excited. I did so good at the tournament. And in my mind, I'm like, that was such a, not a waste of time, but like, it was just, it sucked. Like I wanted, I want real tests and like real names and big people to fight. Yeah, Kendall Rosing as well. Our friend, our podcast guest is there. Mm-hmm. You could fight her. I think she has no other girl in her division. Yeah, any of those girls on that on that list is uh is a, are good opponents. Just slightly off the point of that, Vanessa. Um, if you could give any bit of advice to ladies looking to start jujitsu. I would say just stay consistent. I would say, A, find a gym that you're comfortable at, because I know that there's a lot of women that found gyms that they didn't necessarily like or that, you know, they were just uncomfortable at for any different reasons. Go find another gym where they don't want to be in another uncomfortable situation. So I would say test out as many gyms in your area figure out which one is the most comfortable for you. Generally from the eye, if there's a lot of women there that are established and like higher belts, generally that's a good sign. Um, If you go to a gym and there's no women, it doesn't mean that it's bad, but you know, it could be, it could be a sign of something. So I would say find a gym, test out as many gyms as possible in your area that you're comfortable driving to every day, get a feel for all of them, try out classes, see which ones you like better and find the gym that you're most comfortable with. And that will really help kickstart. Cause for women, especially, um, I mean, crazy idiot was super welcoming. There was already women 
the head coach um, is always very respectful. And so like for women, Crazy Date is probably one of the best gyms in that area to go to. Um, but it's just a matter of finding it. Like if I had gone to any of the other gyms that weren't as established and weren't as, you know, welcoming, I don't think I would still be in it, especially because I was a teenager, you know, like that would have just probably thrown me out of the sport altogether. So I would say try as many gyms, see what you're comfortable for. The best, the best things to look out for are female upper belts um, and a bigger women's team is that's definitely big because now you can find gyms before you couldn't really find gyms with a lot of women. Now you can, you can find a decent amount. That's great, man. Are you a fan of female only classes? Women's classes? Um, I think for some, it depends for me. I never, I never really liked them. I did have them, but I eventually ended up liking the men's competition team better. And I went and did that until the women's team dissolved. Um, it just depends on, I mean, some people, some people need that and some people really enjoy that. For me, I was always really competitive and I climbed in the ranks. Like I started beating a lot of the women pretty fast. So for me, um, I was, I was very competitive. I noticed with some women's only classes, they can be a little bit more, you know, social than they are for the jujitsu. So it just depends if it's a competitive women's team or if it's a competitive women's class and it's really focused on the jujitsu and you're here to train. Absolutely. If it's more like a social laid back kind of class, no, not really. That's right. Nice. So Vanessa, I think we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys. I think we discussed some really interesting topics. Best of luck at No Give Pants. Thank we'll you. We're rooting for you. We'll watch your fights. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Short Night. pleasure. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you ever come to the UK, or especially if you come to Cyprus, you've got the jiu-jitsu there that's evolving, the beaches there, and you've got the bakeries, which are 24-7. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah you're more than welcome. Uh, thank awesome. you. So thank you, guys. Thank you so See you later. Bye, everyone.